Hello and welcome to the Media Law Podcast Newscast. I'm Colette and I'm with Tom and Paul today for this brief session which asks a timely question. Should Trump be banned from social media indefinitely? We have spoken a lot about the theory of this before on Newscast, but in light of the recent insurrection in the Capitol building, which was encouraged by President Trump, I wonder whether anyone's position has changed. Paul, perhaps we should start with you. Yeah, thanks, Colette. Well, well, first of all, let's just recognise just uh, how uh, tragic and awful uh, the events of earlier this week uh, were. And let's remember that um, four people have lost their lives uh, as a consequence of this. And so this has moved from a discussion about free speech, uh, I think, to a discussion about uh, criminal law and whether this man, Donald Trump, and his fellow Republicans uh, should be incarcerated uh, for what they have done. But if we start with the free speech uh, issues, it is um, uh, an it is important to remind ourselves of uh, classic liberal principle. Someone might say to us, well, what Donald Trump did was irresponsible, reckless, but ultimately uh, a matter of free speech. He said things and people reacted to what he said. Well, liberal principle has never thought of this kind of behaviour in that way. And People listening to the podcast regularly will be fed up of me quoting John Stuart Mill at every opportunity. But in fact, John Stuart Mill could have been writing exactly about this kind of problem, this kind of situation, when he gave his uh, example of the corn dealer, what he describes as the corn dealer problem, uh, in uh, chapter three of On Liberty. Now, Mill's point there. Uh, was to make the argument that actions are never as free as opinions. And uh, his point, as we all remember, is that um, whereas it's perfectly fine for someone to write in the press, for example, that uh, corn dealers are starvers starvers of the poor or that private property is uh, robbery, um, it's a very different thing to to say that kind of thing to an angry mob, to effectively incite an angry mob to riot. It's a very different thing to say that to the angry mob when they are stood outside the corn dealer's house. Because there you're not dealing with uh, some hypothetical proposition. You're not trying to engage in robust debate or provoke thought. You are simply trying to cause violence to the individual or individuals concerned. That is exactly what Donald Trump did. He stood in front of an angry mob and he told them that at some distance of meters away from them, people were stealing their democracy, that there were people stealing their democracy within spitting distance, and that this crowd, this angry partisan crowd, should do something about it, should march down to the Capitol building and make their voices heard to stop this theft from happening. I mean, this is a man that is either deeply deluded 
deeply deluded to the point where he needs medical attention um, or he is uh, evil. To say the things that he said to that crowd uh, is is unforgivable. It is the most horrendous abuse of power that one can think of. He lied to them. He told them that he was going to march down with them. Um, he did no such thing. He had no such intention. And this is not uh, anymore a sort of theoretical debate about uh, free speech. People have died as a consequence. And so just finishing the point up about liberal principle, we always, always make an exception for speech that can or will cause harm, demonstrable harm. And here we have a clear example of where speech can be curtailed, can be penalised without doing any damage uh, to the idea of free speech. Thank you for that brilliant summary. Um, I just want to ask you about the role though that social media has now played in the ban of Trump, because the example you gave is him speaking to the crowd directly. And after that moment, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, um, among other social media platforms have decided to suspend his account either temporarily or indefinitely. Is there something to be said for the fact that his speech is now being limited because it's past that point of speaking to the angry mob? Um, okay, so if, again, if we go back to the events of what, of what occurred, uh, he, he addressed, first of all, the crowd, uh, sent them on their merry way. Things started to turn ugly and he was uh, told... Uh, by media outlets that were interviewing this crowd, that they were listening to him and only listening to him. And uh, President-elect Biden, President Biden, um, demanded, rightly, that he address that crowd, that he was the only person who could put an end to this uh, and that he should put an end to it. Well, he went on national television almost immediately. He went back onto his little Twitter sphere and he posted the most atrocious video in response uh, in which he pandered to uh, these terrorists. He pandered to them. He told them he loved them. He told them that he wanted them to remain peaceful. He didn't at any point condemn. He didn't at any point even point out the fact they weren't allowed to be in the building for a start and they should evacuate immediately. Um, he did nothing to... Uh, recognize or um, cause the situation uh, to to come to an end. Now, in terms of uh, what uh, social media companies have done, I think their, their actions are uh, commendable. Um, I think we could criticize them. I think we could say that their actions have come too late. I think the rhetoric that he and others have built over the past four years have been so hateful that uh, this type of violence and the further violence that will happen, make no mistake about that, uh, was predictable. Uh, it was inevitable. And perhaps they should have acted earlier. But these are private companies that are now acting because they don't want to be associated with him. Now, for people like, uh, for organisations like Twitter, of course, it's been great to have someone like Donald Trump uh, there, because uh, he has been, in effect, uh, the principal 
um, sorry, t- Twitter has been the principal medium by which he has communicated to people at very odd times in the morning. So it's been great for Twitter. This has seen them uh, retain their their relevancy uh, as a as a social media platform. It has seen them become the the first point of call uh, for anyone with hateful views um, to 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 use their platforms um, to to connect with like minded uh, hateful people. The next question that needs to be addressed is. Uh, in terms of all media outlets, not just social media, but all media outlets like Fox News, all journalists, whether they should report anything this man says, uh, certainly going forward and after the next 14 days. So just to ask on that, are you suggesting that we stop reporting what Trump's saying totally? I think we should stop reporting anything that isn't directly relevant to his office in the president's, um, as the president of the United States, yeah. Tom, do you have a comment on that? Well... I think Paul's said everything. I agree wholeheartedly with what Paul has spent, you know, the, the, the last few minutes saying. Um, and I think there is a big question now um, uh, about what should happen in the immediate future, what should happen in the medium term to Trump's social media accounts. But also, what do we do um, about social media companies that quite clearly have done far too little, far too late. And what lessons do they now have to learn for the future? Because Donald Trump is uh, a, a, a particularly obnoxious online presence, but he will not be the last. Um, this is something that social media companies are going to have to wrestle with because this feature of global politics where you have these demagogues using social media to whip up partisan crowds into a fury, whether those crowds are entirely online or whether they get together in the physical world, um, that feature is not going away, at least not in the, the, the medium term. So I think it is high time companies like Twitter and Facebook started to think much more seriously about the risks of serious violence that they are enabling um, by not being particularly proactive and taking down content or banning people um, from their platforms. And this is something that that, that they really do have to think about. Um, For a long time, they've been able to hide behind the notion that what is being said by politicians like Trump isn't directly leading to violence. Now, I think that could be contested, but they've been able to hide behind that. They can't now. We saw what happened. It was broadcast live on the news and four people have tragically lost their lives as a result. It could have been a lot worse. Um, we know that not only did four people lose their lives in the the violence, but also uh, that uh, improvised explosives were left around various parts of uh, DC. So there was the potential for significantly greater loss of life at the hands of these uh, these individuals. Um, And social media companies are not going to be able to sit back and go, ah, well, this sort of speech doesn't really usually lead to violence. Not anymore, they can't. 
Um, there, are, there are big questions to, to be answered. And if the social media companies themselves will not deal with it, then there are big companies, there are big questions for uh, global democracies uh, in, in terms of, okay, if you're not going to self-regulate, what kind of legal regulations have to be in place? I want to probe the idea, though, that uh, social media companies should have taken action sooner because the the logical extension of that is that they, the social media platforms themselves then are in a position of huge power to potentially censor voices that they fear might tarnish their brand later down the line. Um, and so what, what gives them the authority to actually... Um, make those kinds of decisions. Well, the fact that it's their platform. Yeah, and it's and, and but I take you, I take your point, Colette, because this is this is something we need to think through carefully. But it, uh, because we have parallel uh, debates happening at the moment um, across UK universities, of course, with uh, no platforming and uh, associated issues, and there has been debate about whether universities and uh, university students are uh, doing damage to the notion of free speech by refusing to allow certain speakers uh, to attend. Uh, but but my response to that is, well, so what? No one has the right to demand an audience. Yeah, Twitter, uh, Twitter can put me in touch with the entire world, but it has no obligation to do so. And it's left up to market forces. It's always been left up to market forces for us to find the audience to receive our views. I mean, this this is what this is how newspapers uh, have been for for since their uh, creation. Uh, this, in, in fact, has been how all messages have been distributed uh, since the the dawn of man. Um, we we I think the misperception, uh, the misconception, even here is almost that. Uh, th- this quaint notion that the best ideas should be uh, received by all. Um, and s- occasionally you see free speech scholars, uh, scholars uh, try and push this idea that, well, if we had the best ideas, uh, then those best ideas will reach the, the right people and we, we will all progress. Uh, and some, some accuse Mill, of course, of having, having said this uh, himself, which he most certainly did not. Um, it is um, an absolute fallacy. I can't help but think that that's true in theory, but in reality, to remove someone from a social media platform does greatly inhibit their ability to interact with the rest of the world. And while there's no right to an audience, this is the way we live our lives now. So Tom mentioned earlier how democracies need to first leave it to the private companies to regulate themselves before considering government intervention on this matter. But the democracies themselves have become so reliant on these platforms. How can you say it's simple to just remove someone? Okay, well, there's there's a a few issues, some really important issues that come out of that, Claire, and thank you for, for... For raising them, I mean, one here we we we've got to be careful that we don't merge two separate ideas together, which is one, uh, the distribution of information and ideas, uh, and two, the cult of personality. Yeah, because what we're dealing with with someone like Donald Trump, or even in the UK, someone like Nigel Farage, 
um, or in years gone by, uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, is this idea of the cult of personality that the leader must be allowed to speak. Um, these, uh, so, you know, but preventing Donald Trump from speaking to his loyal followers um, who are themselves deluded uh, in numerous ways, as we, as we have now seen, um, doesn't cause me uh, any difficulties in terms of the the loss that this might have on information and ideas. But you're making the point, the important point, about the power that social media has um, to decide which information or which set of information or and ideas uh, can leak out. And, of course, you're absolutely right. They do. They do have this already. But every media outlet has this. This this is the this is the problem that we face as a people, that um, all information is processed by someone who has a who has the capacity to decide what is heard and what is not heard. Now, for in terms of the popular debate, of course, that is the media writ large. That is uh, newspapers and television who decide uh, what information and ideas will be received. But you will see it everywhere else if you look for it. You will see it in an academic context, for example. Tom and I can't publish anything unless a publisher allows us to, to publish that information. So even at the level of uh, academic freedom, which again is something that's whole, held up in a, in, a, in a mature society to be something sacrosanct, is itself regulated in this very unseen uh, way, often unseen way. Yes, and in order to publish anything on any medium, compromises have to be made by the individual who's producing the material. Sometimes that means that one has to tone down the content that one wants to put up there. If you want to say something particularly controversial, the publisher might say, you know what, we're not comfortable you saying it in that way. We want you to tone it down. For others, you may have to tone it up. You know, good luck getting anything published on one of these tabloid websites if it's not sensationalist. Um, if you just want to get out there and inform someone about some mundane piece of legislation, you're not going to get published in some places because it won't grab the audience. So people always have to make compromises in order to use another person's platform for self-promotion. I think that that is absolutely right. The question is, what should these platforms tolerate? Should they tolerate incitements to violence? No. Finally, we've seen Facebook and Twitter take a stance against that. Um, but it's come, as I say, it's, it's far too late because in reality, Trump has been whipping up this mob for the last four years. Longer, if you count the campaign that he, he, he had um, leading up to the 2016 election. Um, so he's been whipping up this mob for the, uh, at least half a decade, shall we say, uh, quite comfortably, we can say that. Um, and getting them to the point where they were willing to act in the way that they did on the steps of the Capitol and in the Capitol building this weekend. Um, the, and social media companies cannot now any longer claim not to be able to foresee this as, as, as a, an all too likely occurrence 
should a figure of that sort start whipping up people into a frenzy in this sort of way again. And we do see it happening. It does happen with whether they're political figures here or um, individuals like Tommy Robinson, who is, uh, I'm not sure if he is currently on Twitter. I think they did finally suspend him, but um, I think that's right. But it took a long time for that to happen. Um, And, you know, that's the sort of thing that these companies now uh, have to, uh, have to wrestle with. Yeah, and I think the the reason why uh, this debate is so important is because uh, of the urgent need for some sort of intervention, and uh, and as well as a better debate uh, on just exactly what the threats to to free speech are, because. Um, as we've seen, the the discussion about free speech has been coloured in a way by again this this misconception that interference is by by a private set of private organisations is of itself uh, a threat to to free speech. Now I've already talked about that, and I won't go back into it um, again. But 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 the point that I wanted to draw out here was that. These aren't difficult cases we're talking about here. Donald Trump is not a difficult case. And um, this this has for a long time been an easy case. And of course, tw- places like Twitter have started to, to react slowly, but they have started to react with things such as the posting of warnings that he, you know, this speech might not be accurate, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um but but the question for me is whether that is good enough or whether that has just come to that has been too little too late so i think just finally um you've both agree that social media platforms should be obliged to take a greater stand in instances like this if they don't take the initiative going forward how could governments potentially force them to well i think i think first of all it's um i think the contribution that we're both trying to make is to the moral uh, debate which is to say uh, as as Tom's put it uh, very eloquently, you know, social media companies can't hide behind this idea of this simply being a matter of free speech as a moral claim. You know, the moral claim falls over here and there is a moral wrong that social media uh, is caught up in. So it's about moving that moral debate along before we start thinking about the the legal debate. It's about being clear at the moral level uh, just what free speech means. I think that there would be... Um, there's always a way to regulate online speech or any kind of speech, but online speech, you can do it if you wield state power. And there are plenty of countries in the world that do it. But of course, to uh, the eyes of many people who live in Western democracies, states that do that are enormously oppressive. So it would encounter a significant amount of pushback if legal enforcement mechanisms were put into place of the kind that, you know, we might we, we, we might start speculating on in terms of legal regulation. Um, a much more effective tool here is to use the moral argument to put market force pressure on the companies that rely on users 
to generate their profits and to make clear as a society, we are not going to tolerate people of this sort going on to social media platforms and inciting violence. And if they do, we will not use the social media platforms. Um, that will be more effective. Now, I'm, that is not me mounting a defense of the market as a way of dealing with these things. It is more a, it is a, it is a pragmatic way of, of saying this is currently the world in which we live. And if we want to actually have an impact in the short term, which is necessary, clearly, to save lives, um, then we need to put the pressure on these companies to do the regulating themselves. Um, and they're not averse to it. Let's say that right up front. Yeah. You know, if you're a woman, yeah. you go on Twitter and you share a picture of your own nipple, you get banned, right? Yeah. And yet, there's apparently a debate about whether a person who incites a violent mob and four people die should get banned. Um, yeah. The priorities are all askew, I think, to any rational mind. Uh, and it's high time that that got addressed. Um, I mean, it leads us into a bigger topic that is not the sort of thing we should be discussing today, but maybe something that we can return to in future when we talk about um, the, the priorities for the regulation of media content. Um, there has for years, particularly in the West and particularly in the United States, been uh, a real speed, an almost reckless speed, to clamp down on anything that could be perceived as sexual, but to do very little, if anything, about violent content. Um, yeah. And that promotes, of course, the message, sex bad, violence good, um, at, at its most basic level, which uh, it's hard to see how that is not itself intensely problematic. But as I say, that's a debate yep. for another day. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you very much, Tom and Paul, for joining me today. Thanks, Colette. Thanks, Colette. And we will be back with more newscasts for the rest of 2021. As ever, please follow us on Twitter at Media Law Podcast. And we will speak with you again soon. Bye.